0: And this week as i mentioned earlier we're starting right mindfulness which is the seventh factor in the eightfold path and it's the second and the last section last last time we did right effort this is now right mindfulness as i was thinking about mindfulness it's like it's such a huge topic and it's like where do you begin because it's so much of the foundation of our practice and there's so many books on it i mean i mean i like this joseph goldstein has a whole book called mindfulness and he actually did i think about 38 dharma talks on mindfulness and i think they were on the satipatthana sutta which is the one sutta where the Buddha gives the instructions. Uh, it's it's kind of where we got the basis of our mindfulness practice today. And there's this book, which is written by Bhikkhu Analia, which uh, I wouldn't recommend unless you're a nerd. He has another one, which is Satipatthana, A Practice Guide, which is really, really good. But this is his PhD dissertation. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff written on mindfulness. and you, you It's everywhere. And so how do we distill this down into a half an hour and so that's when i decided i'm not going to do the whole thing this week i'm just going to do a portion of mindfulness primarily reflecting on the um what actually mindfulness is and i got a lot of this um from gregory kramer's whole life path which is a great book it's a really excellent book and you know um when we talk about mindfulness, the word in Pali, in the suttas, is sati, which is generally translated as mindfulness. Patana sutta is the, the four found, the foundations of mindfulness or the establishment of mindfulness, the four establishments of mindfulness, how to really build mindfulness. But sati also has a translation of recollected awareness, remembering. To be present. So it's also a a bringing ourselves back. It's not just being mindful. But when we're not present, and we notice we're not present, when we notice we're caught in the future or a story or somewhere else drifting away, that recollection, oh, bring myself back, that's sati. That's mindfulness. That in and of itself. And then we want to cultivate a longer Um, time that we can be present that we can be in this moment and um, so mindfulness is foundational for the whole path it's foundational for our practice I say that again and again and again it's it's you can't really have any of this if you're not paying attention if you're not in the present moment and you find mindfulness in so many lists it's in the seven factors of awakening it's in the paramis it's it's everywhere you need this present time awareness and um what mindfulness does it allows us to be with the immediacy of our experience meaning we are with our experience as it's happening you know and and only through this immediacy only through this real-time experience of the present do we get to liberation because if we're not present we're somewhere else and it's a distortion whenever we're not present we're we're in the mind and there's some type of a distortion going on and it's the distortion that gets in the way of our liberation of our freedom that's why the Satipatthana Sutta is, uh, or the 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 Sutta offering these teachings, is the direct path to realization. It's how you get to freedom. It's how we are liberated from this this um, this uh, life of constantly craving and aversion and and pushing and pulling and blah, Because we're not here. So that's what that's like. Really, really important. This teaching is and. What I really appreciate, what I really appreciate about this is um, the Buddha did not teach doctrine. He did not teach, do it this way. It's always this. This is the rule and it will never change. He taught how to experience what's happening, which is a totally different thing because doctrine... Can, you know we have do- what was true we know for ourselves you know i made up rules for myself when i was 12 years old that really don't serve me anymore but if they were doctrine and we do that a lot we create rules for ourselves our own doctrine our own dogma and we find ourselves adhering to them even when they don't they they make no sense in our lives anymore and and bringing ourselves into an awareness of that and, and an investigation of, like, does this even work? Why am I doing this again? And so to, that's what the brilliance of this teaching is. It's to find your own way, experience it yourself, and see what takes you towards suffering and see what takes you away from suffering. It's really, really brilliant. So that, that's, that's, that's um, yeah, one of the, as I said, brilliant uh, teachings or brilliant aspects of, of Buddhist teaching so um and what mindfulness does is it gives us a different framework for being in the it provides a framework for being in the present time <clears throat> um depending on what's happening if the mind if we're when we're new to meditation and if you've all experienced this it's really hard to stay still or if there's a lot of activity or a lot of uh, flux in our lives uh a lot of things going on sometimes it can be really difficult to stay present so We have this focused awareness, this breath awareness, or this body awareness. We have this point of awareness that we can tune into in order to be present, in order to stay right here. Okay, what's this? What's this? Be present with this. And then we also have a a different framework where we can open up to really be open to all the senses, the smells, the sights, the sounds, so there's a little bit more openness. And then there's... um, Jania, a Burmese monk teaches um, uh, choiceless awareness or spacious awareness, which is just really being present. It's like when you take a walk down the block and you're like, oh, there's, you know, recon- seeing the colors of the, of, the, of the trees and then, you know, hearing the sound of a car or a dog bark or just fully immersed in the experience of the moment. It's a very experiential type of thing. Um, and and sati again is that remembering that sustaining of this present time awareness so it's also recollection and sustainability of our of this practice and um, one of the things that i think is a very important point to remember and i and i think i talked about this recently is that there is is right mindfulness, which is what we're talking about in the Eightfold Path, right mindfulness, and there's also wrong mindfulness. Right mindfulness is when we are really in tune with the teachings, when we're in tune with, you know, right action, right speech, the integrity, the ethical behavior, seeing what leads away from suffering, and there's wrong mindfulness, What popped into my head is like when I cheated in school, because I did do that at times when I didn't know anything or when I was afraid I didn't know anything. I was totally focused on making sure I could see the other person's paper and being absolutely aware of where the teacher was. That was totally mindful, but wrong. And we see it time and time again. Mindfulness does not equate automatically to wholesome or beneficial behavior. People are doing things all the time intentionally to hurt other people. So they can be mindful. We don't know what's driving that. You know, there's, pre, there's causes and conditions. But in the moment, that mindfulness is intent on causing harm. So that that is an awareness that is really important. Um, and so that's why mindfulness is supported by right effort. As I talked about before, that recognition when we're lost in this place of 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 not necessarily thinking that takes us to a, a beneficial thinking but caught in craving or caught in aversion, caught in, caught in lost in emotions, um, lost in delusion. Effort is this, is, mindfulness is supported by effort. It's like, oh, we have to recognize and come back. Let go of that thinking. And you do this every time you practice, every time you sit down to meditate. Recognize when you're not present, oh, that, that storyline is not helpful, come back and recognize when it is helpful okay i'm here right now maybe there's some ease maybe there's something unpleasant but i'm going to stay with it you know so we make an effort to be present and and right um right effort supports mindfulness because so often our thinking you know we're we're in the present for a split second and then the mind takes over and bhikkhu bodhi in um The Noble Eightfold Eight Noble Eightfold Path talks about where we usually spend our time. He said, um, "The impression we have only where is it? The mind perceives its object, free from any conceptualization, any any idea we have about it. Only briefly, then immediately." After grasping the initial impression, it launches on a course of ideation by which it seeks to interpret the object to itself, to make it intelligible in terms of its own categories and assumptions. To bring this about, the mind posits concepts, joins the concepts into constructs, sets of mutually corroborative concepts, then weaves the constructs together into complex interpretive schemes. In the end, the original direct experience, what we originally experienced, has been overrun by ideation, and the presented object appears only dimly through a dense layer of ideas and views, like the moon through a layer of clouds. You might might be able to relate to that. I know I can relate to that. I can see something out of the corner of my eye or a thought will go by or an emotion will arise and immediately the reactivity is interpretation, giving it meaning, whatever. And that is, um, the Buddha calls this process of mental construction papancha, which is one of my favorite words. I love the sound of that word. Elaboration, embellishment, or conceptual proliferation. It's the proliferation of thinking. The papancha takes over, and you're all familiar with that. I mean, it happens all the time. So effort is needed to recognize this, this fabrication, these thoughts that are taking us somewhere else, recognizing them as not beneficial, being willing to let them go, and to recognize what it's like when we're not lost in papancha. That's, you know, what does it feel like when we're not? What does it feel like when we're present? So... Um, that's that's how what effort and mindfulness work together. And mindfulness can be cultivated and refined. and through this right effort, what does it feel like? You know, it's not that we sit here and just go, blah, I hope I'm mindful today. It's actually intentionally um, focusing on what's what's beneficial and what's wholesome. Mindfulness can arise spontaneously. Like sometimes when you're really focused on doing something, I, I think of people who are like artists who are in that creative process where they're really fully present, either writing or creating art or musicians, athletes who are really, really, really in the moment. They are fully, um, in, and they, as they say, in I think in basketball, in the zone. They say it in a lot of sports, but they're in the zone. Um... They're not distracted. And I, I remember that when I put two and two together when doing yoga, and I think I've mentioned this before, I was doing a balancing pose. I was on one leg, and then my mind just wandered off somewhere, and I fell over. And I'm like, oh, I need to stay present. I need to stay with this. Otherwise, it's so easy to just go. So the mind can be spontaneously um, absorbed and present, Or we want to cultivate it like when we sit together and practice, um, half hour, our daily sits, whatever we do, going on retreats, etc. Or that's a more formal practice, or you can do it formally, more or informally in your daily life to be you can you can reflect and return anytime. Anytime. And I did that this morning. I was I was running around. I was in a hurry. I was going nowhere, but I was in a hurry. And then I stopped. And I went, come back and just be here. And Which is what mindfulness is really helpful because you begin to recognize when you're caught up. You begin to recognize the emotions. You begin to recognize the tensing of the stomach or the, the tightening of the jaw. Or, or you recognize those stories. And so, oh, stop come back to the present. Where am I right now? Where are my feet? Where are my hands? Where's my breath? So that's part of what mindfulness does. And there's also this internal and external mindfulness. And in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha says over and over again, we practice internally and externally. Internally we're aware, ardently clear in the moment, and externally the same thing. And we so what that means is let's say you're having a conversation with someone and you're you're hearing what they're saying and perhaps it makes you really angry or perhaps it makes you really sad or perhaps you're really confused or whatever it is so there's this you're hearing these words these sounds and you're having a reaction or an experience that arises because of this, being aware of that, you can be aware internally. And when you have this awareness, you're able to control the external response if there is one. If someone is saying something to you that you know is incorrect, excuse me, you don't immediately yell out, Liar! You know, which may not be an optimal response. You can can hold it and say, oh, what might be the appropriate response in this thing? And then you respond externally with clarity, with wisdom, with whatever is um, appropriate. We move through the world externally and aware, mindful of what's going on, while at the same time being aware internally what's going on. This is, this is um, really important, and, and um, I'll touch on this next week when I get into the second foundation of mindfulness, which is feeling tone, because often we want to lash out if it's unpleasant or we want to hang on if it's pleasant. And so to really have this, this, um, this, this sense of what's happening, that wisdom. This is we're building wisdom, again, supported right, by right view. Clarity, you know, seeing clearly what's happening, and being connected to reality, being aligned with uh, reality. And, and going along with this idea of internal awareness is we're, and this again is another one of the um, foundations of mindfulness, we're aware of what's present. Like we can name things like the hindrances, you know. Oh, this is anger. Or this is restlessness and worry. A lot of times when we notice, oh, this is worry, it can diffuse it. Because we're no longer in it. We're on the outside going, oh, this is this. This is this thing. Whatever it is. So we're aware of the hindrances. So when there's restlessness, like, oh, there's restlessness. We have that internal awareness which gives us the clarity so we're not just randomly reacting. This Having this right view allows us to discern what's appropriate. Oh, there's worry. There's craving. There's doubt. There's sleepiness. Whatever it is. it is, it's so important to help us identify these things so we're not just... You know, walking around reacting, we can have that clarity, we can have that wisdom. And it's so important because mind follows mind. If we're not aware, we're just following whatever the head's telling us to do, whether it's wise or skillful or not. It's important to recognize what's going on so we can be in the world wisely. Um, Really important. And again, as I said, I'll get into this next week because this is part of the fourth foundation. And it's also it's also not just uh, um, aware of um, difficulties, but it's also aware of of the beneficial qualities. Metta, recognizing when there is kindness, recognizing when there is gratitude, when and all these things are present. So it's it's the full spectrum. What's here right now, and how do I how do I hold it? What what was that word? Um, with immediacy and with intimacy so um let's see yeah so one other thing um mindfulness is very popular these days and has been for probably 20 years and i think it might it might go back to john cabot zinn and his um mindfulness-based stress reduction which kind of secularized the buddhist teachings and put it out into the world where people who might have been turned off by the idea that this is buddhist teaching are now more um, amenable to it because they can take the principles and the practices and apply them to their lives in particular ways so there's you know mbsr which is mindfulness-based stress reduction and there's this Mindfulness based relapse prevention. There's all kinds of mindfulness based um, programs. There's, you know, and it's gone out, you know, they call it MIC mindfulness because they apply mindfulness to the army and to schools and to businesses to, you know, get that productivity up and so on and so forth. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism about it because oftentimes it's not tied to the ethical qualities that are so important that are part of this Eightfold Path. It's just taking a piece of it and saying, here, utilize this so you can be better as a a corporate raider or whatever. Uh, However, if we can, um, and, and Kramer makes this point, he feels that it's really if people can utilize mindfulness to reduce stress to um, you know prevent relapse and those types of things it's helpful it's beneficial and can help move somebody towards liberation because if you're caught in addiction or you're caught in if you're totally stressed out it's going to be really difficult to move through these to to sit or move through these other path factors so that that mindfulness has its place, but I think it's it's really important that we can't just pull out what we like and leave the rest It's really important to have this whole piece, this whole thing and that's why um' not that's not that's why, but the importance of sila, the importance of the ethical behavior piece is underscored because as I said, you can have Um, mindfulness that causes great harm but if you are using um, ethical behavior as one of your guiding principles and if you're if you're invested in the eightfold path that's part of it not causing harm being wise and careful with our speech not taking what's not offered and not just that but as in white right intention of cultivating goodwill and friendliness and compassion um, and letting go of what doesn't serve, renouncing things that are harmful to us in some way, shape, or form. What may be harmful to me may not be harmful to you, but to recognize that quality. And so, this underpinning of integrity and ethical behavior is so important. And that Sila, ethics, underlies um, um, mindfulness. And it's sad. I don't remember where I read it or heard it, but if you are truly, truly mindful in the best sense of the word, you cannot cause harm because you will see that this action will cause harm and hurt and the the ramifications of it. And you're not going to do that. I mean, and I, I've seen it in my own life with some of the things I've been willing to let go of. <sighs> Mikey's the good cat. Mikey will put me in airplane mode if he walks across the laptop. So I, now he's laying down over there. Um, so I can see it in my own life that I can see if I choose this behavior, it will cause harm. And I don't want to do that. that's because we're paying attention. but when I'm not paying attention, so easy to cause harm and I'm not saying I'm killing people or beat punching people, but just that carelessness we can cause so much harm with carelessness, not paying attention like you know when I'm in in a yoga pose and I start my mind starts drifting, it's that easy just to fall over when I'm not paying attention it's that easy just to cause harm usually with my my mouth i can be very um very harsh with some of my words sometimes and so sati and this integrity and allows us to uh, guard our sense doors against what doesn't serve to recognize you know what me spending a whole bunch of time on facebook not healthy me watching msnbc 12 hours a day I don't ever do that but <laughs> it's not helpful it's not helpful so finding for ourselves what's helpful what's not helpful you know that that Thich Nhat Hanh's fifth precept of watch what we ingest in not just in our mouths not just um, intoxicants but what do we take in that causes harm our and mouths. causes us to be distracted um, because if we live with ethics And if we live in a way that doesn't cause harm, it's easier to be present because we don't have that remorse. We don't have that, "Ah, I don't want to think about this. Why did I do that? Ah," You know, that guilt that can be so challenging. Um, Those stories that can just nip at our heels and we want to run away from It's the, you know, fingers in the ears, "Ah, running away type of thing. So... So um, I think there's one other thing that I was thinking about, and that is the idea of um, overwhelm. And uh, I had a teacher, Irina Weissman, years ago who mentioned that overwhelm is in the mind. And when I think about it, when I'm overwhelmed, it's because I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about next week. I'm thinking about next year. I'm thinking about later tonight. Or... I'm thinking about yesterday I'm not right here so obviously it's in the mind and mindfulness helps us to see that it brings this discernment this this right view you know sati keeps us right here and continually letting go letting go letting go what's right here what do I have to do right now you know It keeps us on the path. And what happens for me is, what I ask the question, what do I have to do right now? Oftentimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's one or two things. It's like, okay, that's management. Sometimes it's just sit here and breathe. Because I don't know what to do. Because there are so many things. So I need a pause. That's actually very wise and skillful. Sometimes doing nothing is the answer. So this mindfulness supports us as we move through the world with all these different things. And so, um, yeah, that, that is kind of the real uh, groundwork for, for um, mindfulness. And, and I'll just touch on the first, the first um, factor, even though it's you could spend, um, or the first foundation, the first establishment of mindfulness, you could spend the rest of your life in this one. It's the breath and body awareness. You know, and the Buddha said everything can be known in this fathom-long body. Everything, clarity, awakening, wisdom is right here. And it is. um, Gil Fronsdale said the body is the best friend for integrating mindfulness experience into everyday life. How connected are we with our experience? Often the experience is in the body. You know the the body keeps a score by um, Bessel van, Kalk. can't remember his last name, but about trauma. Trauma is trapped in the body, and we all have trauma to some extent or another. We all have been impacted in some way. But to see if we can connect. Because as I said earlier, you know, oftentimes um, an emotion is our, our body, our, our, our belly is tight in knots or our jaws are tight or there's a, some kind of a tension or tightness. If we can tune into that, we can then recognize, oh, the body is doing this, what's going on in the mind? It gives huh. us a clue to, to pause and look at the mind. Because oftentimes we're just running with the head and ignoring what's below the neck. And so this is the invitation to reconnect, breathe, you know, be with the body, be with the here and now. It's always available to us, you know. Everything, um, you know, this, this connection with the body leads to deep spiritual awakening. When I started really practicing with the body is when I feel I got really connected to my experience really was able to tune into because i wasn't you know deflecting i was i was much more familiar with it and and in the first foundation there's all these practices there to be familiar with the body and to not be so identified with it just to recognize that this little thing here it's you know the meditation on the 32 parts of the body there's blood there's skin there's hair there's nails there's 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 bile there's all kinds of lovely things that we can meditate on, and there's there's cemetery meditations, recognizing that this body is not going to last forever. Um, it's a it's a real real connection with the idea of impermanence, which is one of the characteristics of existence. Everything is impermanent, you know. When we connect with the body, we're able to have that felt experience, and as I said. At the beginning, um, this mindfulness brings us into um, the experience, our experience, pure immediacy, the immediacy of our experience. And so often that necessitates us hanging out with the felt experience. What's the felt experience? You hear that phrase a lot. You know, and we gets us out of our head and those mental constructs and actually being with what's right here. And I mentioned this before once when I went to get a, 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 a look at a job, I knew I would get the job because an old boss was the hiring manager. And I walked into the place and my whole body said, No, you do not want to be here. You do not want to be here. And my head said, I'll take the job. And it was miserable. I lasted three months, and I would cry on my way to work every day. And it's like, why was I ignoring this wisdom? This was like a long time ago, but I still remember that because it, I could. It was so visceral. But I was, chill, I'm like, Meh, I know better. My head, with all its, you know, all the papancha, knows a lot better. And and so now to really, uh, let me actually be present. Let me be present for this wisdom that's here. Um, And I also want to say it's really important that for folks who have a lot of um, abuse history or trauma history, that this connecting with the body can be even more triggering. So if if, if you are doing that and you find that's the response, then maybe back away. I think it's really important. Oftentimes we say, no, one size fits all, and it's not one size fits all. We don't force anything. The same thing people with breath awareness, sometimes that's triggering. And it's like, okay, can you move into sound? Or for people who breath awareness is triggering, can you move into a physical, a body piece? And, and so there's all types of ways to move through this. But this is for many people. Breath and body awareness is the gateway into connecting to the present. It's a way to really be right here. So I think I have said quite enough about um, this first part of uh, Right Mindfulness. So uh, thank you all for your kind attention.